Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Just a small amount of research will reveal some astonishing facts about Jim Weatherly. Much of it, well, you know, like he's from Pontotoc, Mississippi. He was a recipient of the Governor's Arts Awards in 2014. He was a star quarterback at Ole Miss during the 1960s. And he went on to become a successful singer-songwriter. But what may surprise you is just how prolific his musical career has been. It's all summed up in this book called Midnight Train, penned by Weatherly and his cousin, Jeff Robertson. We'd like to share some of it with you today. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, and I really love the book. Good I job. really appreciate it. Yeah, we were just uh, talking with Jeff a little bit before. He's here in the studio. We're right. Talking, and you said it has short chapters and short sentences. Right. So that works out great. <laughs> but it's got some big stories. Yeah, I think so. I I. I ha actually had a lot more stories than that, and yeah. we had 120,000 words. We had to cut it down to 80-something thousand, so a lot of those stories got cut out. Maybe there will be a revised edition <laughs> sometime. Well, maybe I can get you to tell maybe one or two of them today <laughs> and do that, too, on that. I, you know, and I, and I was kind of going through it, and I think there's like four distinct chapters in your life. You got Pontotoc, you got Ole Miss, you got California and now today in Nashville. Do you right. think that's fair? Yeah. 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 So Pontotoc, we'll start with that. You grew up there. Yes. Um, you lost your dad way too early of an age. You, was, you were like 14, weren't you? Yeah, I was 14. Um, it, of course, it was a shock. It was an accident and uh, something that nobody even ever dreamed of. Right. And uh, it, it kind of uh, it set our family back a little bit. Yeah. It took us a while to look learn to live without him, yep. you know, and uh, I, uh, I, I I regret that I never got to know him yeah. as an adult, you know, uh, I only knew him as, up until age 14, yeah. and uh, I, I would have loved to have him tell me more about his life, right? and that's one reason that I wanted to write this book, so my children, Brighton mm -hmm. and Zach, would have a history of their dad. Right. So talk about your early days. And because and I, I think about my kids, my kids got a little bit of musical ability, and it's kind of neat to see where that might have come from. Did you know early on that you could sing and that you had musical ability? Well, I really didn't think about it, I guess. I came from a couple of my my mom's family. They were musical. Her sisters yeah. and her brothers could all sing. Jeff's dad was a good singer. My dad was a good singer. I mean, I listened to their records, those uh, pop kind of records, Patty Page and um, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and all that growing up. But until Elvis came about, um. I saw he, what he was doing. Yeah. I wanted to do that. Yeah. You're like, hmm, girls like him. That <laughs> were girls. But I also love the music. Yeah. I really yeah. love the music. It really, it really did. And it was so funny. I love the story from um, Kenny Dill, who played center with you right. on the Ole Miss team. There was this great line in there where he said that basically um, that he would ask you to sing for his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they would call him up on the phone and have me come down and sing to him on the phone. They would hold the phone. I'd play my guitar and sing. I hope you charged for that. No, no, not, not back then. Not back then. <laughs> but you, you played in bands and everything while you were playing football? Did you do that? Yeah. I, 
started my first band when I was, I guess, maybe in the ninth grade. Yeah. And uh, they both came naturally to me. I, I didn't. I didn't think anything about it. I was just having fun doing what I was doing. I played one dance after a football game, <laughs> and my high school coach didn't like that too oh, much, really? so I didn't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm about to say, I remember myself after football games, nobody would have wanted to be around me. <laughs> a little bit gamey on that. And I love, too, in the fact that, I mean, you were a good football player, but you didn't even realize you were being recruited, did you? you no, I yeah. really didn't. I didn't know. Uh, I'd gotten some letters from, like, uh, LSU and uh, maybe Tulane. Um, but nobody ever offered me a scholarship until yeah. after my – senior year and uh coach Swayze yeah Tom Swayze came over and uh visited with me and my mom and told me to think about going to Ole Miss to play football that's the first time I knew about it wow after after high school football and my senior year so all that time you're playing you had no idea that they were watching you no and yeah. I didn't I really didn't think that much about it I don't know I I never looked that far ahead, I guess. I was just having fun doing right. what I was doing. And, I, you know, nowadays they'll start to recruit you in the seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was just a very low-key, very quiet process. And uh, the minute I knew they wanted me to play for Ole Miss, I said yes. Well, you must have been pretty – well, you were darn good. I mean, you were playing your sophomore year, right? You're playing. I mean, you played early yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 62 I'm, was your sophomore year. I moved up to uh, second-team quarterback my sophomore year Yeah, uh, behind Glenn Griffin. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't expect that either because I, uh, back then coaches didn't go around telling you how good you were. Right. You know, now they, yeah. they, 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 they lay it on them thick, yeah. you know. No, I didn't know. I just – I was just – putting one foot in front of the other and just point me in a direction. That was such a magical season, though, that 62 year. Really it was. really was. It really was. It was very special. Yeah. And it's kind of odd to think that it's lasted all these years. It really has. You're kind of like the Miami Dolphins, the yeah. undefeated season they had. Right. So, But, I, I mean, I love it, and I love seeing when you all get together, yeah. too, because there's still that, that bond. Oh, yeah. You can see. Yeah. We've, we've had two or three reunions. And yeah get to see each other and of course uh, a lot of the time you go uh, now who are you <laughs> you know i had a friend of mine and i were talking and a guy came walking up and he said the guy next to me said you know who this is and he went hmm <laughs> he didn't recognize me that's the way it was you know we all get older we change we do different things now, I got to tell you, and I told you this a little before we got started taping, I was a defensive end when I played. Right. That play that you made against Mississippi State in 62 where you took the fake and you went around and yeah. scored, I mean, I, my jaw was on the ground when the first time I saw that. That was amazing. <laughs> Did you know at the time that that, that was going to work out that well? Oh, no. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a broken play. Oh, was it real? No. It was a broken play. I was supposed to roll around and hand the ball off to the inside on to J David Jennings coming up and across. I stepped too deep, and I missed him. Our defensive tackle was pulling to the left, my yeah. left. Yeah. When he pulled, 
their defensive end crashed okay. following yeah. the tackle. Yeah. And then the linebacker and the safety moved to the inside too, following all the plague. Everything, Everything swarmed just kind of collapsed to the in. number yeah. five hole on the left. Yeah. There was nobody on the right side of the field. You could have skipped and made it in there. Yeah. That was just amazing. Yeah, but I ran. I ran hard. Yeah. Yeah. You did, and you got in the end zone. You just, it's funny because you could kind of see yourself looking around going, I just did that. Wow, yeah. that was incredible. Well, I was when I came off the field, I was laughing. I, I, yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, dear, did that really happen, you know? Yeah. Doc Knight, our longtime trainer at Ole Miss, was the first one to greet me off the field. And I said, I was laughing. I said, Doc, I missed the handoff. He said, <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't tell him. <laughs> of course, he was joking, but we had, we had a good laugh. So when you get, you know, of course, you, you played that through the rest of your eligibility and it came time to graduate and you had some you had some offers from some pro teams, but you made a really faithful choice. What at what point did you sit there saying, OK, I can go this way and play pro football or I can go this way and go into music? What at what point did you make that and why did you make that choice? Well, I, first of all, I had a I had an existing injury. I, yeah. I injured my foot, and they found out I'd had the gout. I played my whole senior season with the gout yeah. and turf toe. Out. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to play, and Coach felt let me play. I it hampered me some, but you know, right. I felt I could do it. That was one reason. Yeah. I I, I didn't want to go try to play pro pro football with an existing injury. Yeah. But another reason, they offered me a $12,000 salary and a $1,000 bonus, and Joe Namath got 400000 So yeah. I thought, well, I think I can make $12,000 a year playing clubs. That's right, and have far <laughs> less concussions. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, and so at that point, you moved to California? Uh, no. Okay. No, I went a fifth year to school okay. after that, yeah. and... Uh, that's when I really started playing with my band yeah. a lot. And we went up to Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, we went to New York wow. to play the World's Fair. And then we got booked in Erie, Pennsylvania and uh, made some friends there. And the next year, we decided to go back to Erie in the summer. And from there, we decided to go to California. Okay. So it was a couple of years later. We went out in 1966. You know, it, the music business today is so different, where you could just put your band stuff up on YouTube and people would see you that way. Yeah. But you really had to rely on a lot of traveling and a lot of word of mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and playing clubs like crazy, you know. We we got to be known as, as the uh, party circuit band. We played <laughs> a lot of parties for celebrities. Oh, wow. And... Um, we just, we were struggling to find a, somebody to let us make a record. And, yeah. you know, everybody loved us except the record people. <laughs> well, I mean, were you writing your stuff at that point? Were you writing songs? Yeah, I wrote, okay. well, I wrote all through high school and all through college. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and I was writing for the band at that time, too. We all wrote. Yeah. So I had you know, four or five songs on our first album, The Gordian Knot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was always writing. Writing was something I just loved. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. I was going to ask, did you have any training on or just something you just sat down one day and you're just like, I can do this? No, I, I never had any training. I just listened to the radio yeah. and thought, 
hey, I can write something sound like that, you know? Oh, I think and that's basically I, what I tried to do is write something like I heard on the radio. Yeah. And it wasn't until much, much later that uh, I kind of developed something that felt like my own style, right. you know? Well, I think, you know, of course, I'm a cartoonist, and that's kind of how I got started, too. I'd sit mm. there and look at other people's cartoons and try to copy it, and then one yeah. day I just start drawing like myself. Right. So, completely understand that. I, I, I moved out to California, too, at one point, and I just remember it like being on another planet when I went out there. What A good good old Mississippi boy out in the middle of California. That had to be quite a culture shock. Well, we went out in 66, so it still had kind of a 50s yeah. mentality. Kind of like a Beach Boys and there, Yeah, thing. and there was a lot of good old boys from back in the South that were out there. Yeah. You know, uh, Delaney Bramlett being one of them. He was, I played basketball against Delaney in high school. He was a senior and I was a junior. I mean, I was a freshman. And there were a lot of guys like Delaney that came from Texas and Oklahoma and things like that. And they made up all those bands that you heard on records in the 1960s. I love how you get in a flag football league with Lee Majors. Yeah. That, that was incredible. And then, of course, he was friends with Jim Neighbors. And yeah. so you got to be friends. I mean, what it, it, it was just like a little small world out there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's amazing, but yeah. it was. The, the uh, movie TV industry was uh, very small. Yeah. And you could run into people all the time. I met a lot of people that way. And uh, Jim happened to like my songs. So he said, if you ever need a job writing songs, call me. Really? He gave me his phone number. Wow. And of course, I mean, anybody who doesn't know about Jim Neighbor's voice, the first time I heard that, I was like, how did Gomer Pyle just do that? What a voice. So I mean, yeah. what a nice compliment for him to say that. Yeah, yeah, it was. Didn't he introduce you to your manager too? I think he did, did he? Uh, Jim? Yeah. Was it Jim? No, 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 no. Uh, Jim wanted to, when I finally decided to sign with Jim as a writer, he introduced me to his manager. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And I made a deal. Yeah, gotcha. Um, Now, one of my favorite stories, of course, is how Midnight Train to Georgia (laughs) came about. And, of course, Lee Majors plays a big part of that. So we'll just go ahead and start. Have you tell that story because I think it's just absolutely wonderful. Well, A lot of things happened to me that were serendipitous or whatever that word is. Um, Just like meeting, I met Lee at a fifth dimension recording session and we became friends and he, uh, we used to hang out and play ball and all that. So when I called, I called Lee's house one day and Vera answered the phone. He had just started dating her. Fair faucet. Yeah. Yeah. She just moved to town. And um, just, she said, Lee wasn't there. But during the course of the conversation, she mentioned that she was taking the midnight plane to Houston. And um, that stayed with me. Yeah. When I got off the phone, I wrote midnight plane to Houston in about 30, 45 minutes. Wow. So that's how the song got written. And actually, when I was writing it in my mind, I actually could visualize Lee and Fair as the people I was talking about. Really? Yeah. I'll be darned. Yeah. And of course, um, people were probably sitting here thinking, but it's it's not midnight train. I'm playing to Houston. It's midnight train. There was there was a little bit of story there, too, how yeah. it got changed. Yeah. Uh, we got a call from uh, Sonny Limbo mm-hmm. in Atlanta, wanted to produce a 
a song on Sissy Houston. And um, he asked my publisher if he could change the title of My Night Train to Georgia. My publisher argued with him. No, no, you can't do that. It stays in the night playing. So my publisher told me that he wore him down. He just argued with him. Yeah. As fate would have it. So we, um, he said, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> so they did it. And uh, Gladys had heard Midnight Plane to Houston. Mm-hmm. And felt something was wrong with it for them. Yeah. And then when she heard Sissy Houston's record of Midnight Train to Georgia, she said, that would make more sense. Because she said, I'm from Atlanta. And my family took trains, not planes. So that's that's how all that came about. And, of course, you know, I, and I've heard, I've heard you singing it. I've heard Sissy singing it. And then to hear Gladys sing it, there's something a little bit different about it. They... they Throw the, the background vocals. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, yeah. that, was, that was magic. I think one of the reasons they liked some of my songs mm-hmm. was because there was a lot of space between words, yeah. between lines that the pips could throw in background parts. Mm-hmm. And what they did to Midnight Train, I think, was one of the reasons it became an iconic record. Yeah. For the ages, you know. It really, I mean, Rolling Stone, top 500, it's on, it's on that list. Yeah. So that's yeah. got a... That's going to make you feel pretty good when you lay down yeah. at night. You know, the interesting thing was, too, uh, the Record Industry Association of America and the National Endowment of the Arts yeah. chose the 365 songs of the century. Yeah. And Midnight Train was number 28. Wow. The Beatles' I Want to Hold Your Hand was 27. And John Lennon's Imagine was number 29. So it's a good group of people to hang out with. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I yeah. don't think anybody's going to complain about that yeah. at all. Um, you you and her had a really special relationship in the fact that she really did seem to like your, what she do, 10, 11, 12, something like that, recorded that many of your songs? How many of her, your oh, songs? Oh, how yeah. many did Gladys record? Yeah, I was trying to think how many she did. Well, she did 12 with the group. And yeah. then later on, she did a, another one. Uh, that I had on my Christmas album, and she recorded that as an individual artist. Yeah, I mean, to do one, of course, obviously, that was the one that kind of launched everything, but for her to keep coming back, that's a nice compliment, too. Well, yeah, like I say, I think Gladys has always said the thing that she looks for in songs Mm -hmm. are lyrics. Yeah. She wants the lyrics to mean something to her, and... She would take my melodies and kind of manipulate them, you know, which was okay with me because she did such a great job. Right. So uh, it was it was a good relationship. I wish it could have gone on longer. Yeah. But all good things have to end. You you have had a huge variety of people record your work. I mean, it's incredible. Everybody from, you know, Neil Diamond, Garth Brooks, Aretha Franklin, Billy Dean, Peter Cetera. You even co-wrote a song with Peter Cetera from Chicago. Yeah, we we wrote a good song, and and Peter put it out as a single. Um, Peter's a very unique artist. He definitely has his own way of singing. Nobody else phrases like Peter Cetera. So when we were writing, I was trying to come up with lyrics and my lyrics didn't fit his phrasing. Yeah. 
So he would take kind of what I was saying and then vamp it around to, to fit the way he phrased. And the record turned out to be a great record. Talk widespread panic. <laughs> I mean, that's that really says a lot about your career to have that kind of breadth of, of artists. Yeah, they just picked it up and covered it. Yeah. I didn't have anything to do with it. I just found out one day widespread panic had done it. Yeah. Yeah. So how many, this is like asking me how many cartoons I've done. How many songs have you written? Do you I have, really don't know. Yeah, see, I can't answer that I either. I have no idea. Yeah. My batting average is not that good, though. <laughs> that doesn't matter. You're in the game. That's all that matters. And you're still recording songs and still singing songs, and, I mean, you're still doing it. Well, I've been doing it. Yeah. For, uh, when I learned how to, uh, when I went kicking and screaming into the digital age, I yeah. finally learned how to, work computers enough to make my own records. Yeah. And I would do that at, in my studio at the house and uh, put them out on my own label. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't, I didn't have any big push or anything like that. I just let people find them. And it's, it's amazing how many people found them. 2014 Songwriters Hall of Fame, New York. That, what was that like? That had to be. Well, that was the pinnacle. Yeah. You know, it was something I didn't expect. You know, I, I, I just always felt like that I shouldn't be in the same Hall of Fame as Francis Scott Key and Irving Berlin and Bob yeah. Dylan and Willie Nelson and Jimmy Webb and, uh, you know, all these people that just wrote these great songs that were my heroes. So I was really taken aback. It was a very stressful thing for me <laughs> because I, I, I thought, oh, gosh, Will they accept me? Do I really belong here? You know, that's my insecure story. Right. But, but that's okay. I mean, yeah. obviously you did because yeah. you're there. And you, you, like we discussed earlier, you decided to do the book so that your kids could basically know your story too, which is... Well, that yeah. and, and the fact that I had, I had read, uh, I started reading biographies several years ago, 12, something like yeah. years ago. I just love reading about other people's lives and the things that influenced them, their 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 high notes and their low notes. And uh, as I was reading them over a period of time, I got to thinking that maybe I had a story to tell. Yeah. And that that's the thing that really prompted the the it got the ball rolling. And one day, uh, Jeff and I were together, and and I just said, Jeff, let's write a book. And he was kind of taken aback. He said, uh, well, he said, let me think about it. And so he, he tells it that one day he saw Gladys Knight on a TV program cooking, yeah. on a cooking show or something, and she was singing Midnight Train. So he said, I, uh, he said he decided right then that he needed to go ahead and do it with me. And it had to be fun for him, too, because, you, you know, he's a little bit younger cousin, and right. you always lived away, so it really probably gave him a chance to get yeah. to work with you and be with yeah. you, too, so that was really neat. So, And also, too, and I, and I got to tell you this, I posted on my Facebook page that I was going to get to talk to you. Uh -huh. The people from Pontotoc and all around the state saying how proud of you they were and, oh. and all the people that remembered when you played in, you know, in the band and everything yeah. else, and it was just really cool to see the outpouring of of support that you've been well, we getting. did a book signing in Pontotoc last week and we had a big crowd and and it showed all the you know 
old friends, acquaintances, the older people that I knew growing up, you know, that kind of thing. It was, it was really very special. You know, I know losing your dad at 14 was really hard, but I got to believe that he's got to be smiling at what you've done with your career and your life. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So just did Farrah Fawcett, uh, did she always give you a hard time for saying, hey, you know, I deserve half the royalties for that song? No, no, no. She, She never did, but she loved the fact that she was responsible for the song being written. I bet. You know, I played it for Lee and Farrah after I, I, right after I wrote it, before anybody ever heard it, and they were just floored. They, they thought, "Oh my gosh, how'd you do that?" And I don't know. You know, I just did it. That well, isn't that the beauty of, of creativity? You hear that one little phrase, and all suddenly it just lights something. Yeah, on that, especially right. as well. Well, I was, I was gonna wrap up by saying thank you for coming in and thank you for talking on that, but. Um, I, I was going to ask, do you still talk to Gladys Knight? Do you ever see yeah. her? Yeah. You still can yeah. talk to her? Wow. I, I, I've gone to many of her concerts in Nashville. I always go backstage and yeah. visit with her and talk to her. And her brother, Bubba, was touring with her and part of her act for a long time. He just retired not too long ago, and I would I would see both of them and visit with them. And we, we had a very cordial, friendly yeah. kind of relationship. We weren't all that close because they were always going you one were this way, way and I was yeah. going another. Right. But it, it worked out. I think it worked out pretty well in the end. Yeah, it did. So, but that, that's got to be fun for you getting to work with these different artists and getting to get to know them and everything else. It is. And how's Nashville? Has that worked out really well for yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I, I started co-writing when I went to Nashville. Yeah. And I made a lot of friends. I learned a lot about songwriting that they knew that I didn't know because I'd always written from a stream of consciousness. I'd just sit down at the piano, the guitar, and kind of get in a zone and just fumble around until something kind of came through, you know. But there's a way to craft a song that they do in Nashville. And uh, Bob McDill taught me how to craft a song. That's cool. So it really is. Jim, thank you so much for coming in today. My pleasure. It's I enjoyed it. It's been really good to get to know you. Thank you. All right. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.